0: Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So let's get right into it. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we work to help growers increase yield and improve profitability. Thanks for tuning in, and let me say Merry Christmas. It is December, and we love all things Christmas here. And a few years ago, we did a series, and we're going to rerun that and maybe dig up some new information. And this will be the 12 days of nutrients in uh, response to the 12 days of Christmas. So, we're going to run the 12 days of nutrients here and see what we can dig out and what we can gather. I'm going to start with the three macros. Today, we'll do nitrogen. Let me say this before I get rolling I'll have on something festive, hopefully, every day a Christmas sweater, a Christmas shirt something to do with Christmas. We love all things Christmas. And before you get all judgy, I find this interesting. My experience indicates it's always interesting because we see people have ugly Christmas sweater parties. What that really means is they're not man or woman enough to say, I really like Christmas sweaters, but I can't wear them because I wouldn't be cool if I wore a Christmas sweater. So we'll have an ugly Christmas party. But instead of wearing an ugly sweater, they go find the prettiest, nicest sweater they can. So, hey, I got a great idea. Let's don't run from it. Let's embrace it. You can see the tree back here in the background. You can see the nativity sets strung out through the house here. And we love all things Christmas. So, guys, let's talk about nitrogen. Spent some time last night working on this, talking about what we were going to do and what we were going to say. So let's get to the easy stuff first. Nitrogen is necessary for the formation of amino acids. That is the building blocks of protein. So if we want to improve protein, we want to have adequate nitrogen. It is essential for plant cell division, so therefore it is very vital to have adequate plant growth. It's directly involved in photosynthesis. It is a necessary component of vitamins. It aids in production and the use of carbohydrates. And so we know that's very important in that plant development, and it affects energy reactions within that plant. And so I'll be using several things I use from the Soil Up by Don Schrefer. I use from the book Hands-On Agronomy by Neil Kinsey. I work a lot out of the Fertilizer Handbook from the Dry Fertilizer Institute and Midwest Labs Agronomy Handbook. All of these are available with the exception of this one, which is no longer in print. I am actively seeking that but cannot find it. I would love to get my hands on some more of these to help other people. So as we start looking at the nitrogen here, one of the first things that I want to share with you is out of the Fertilizer Handbook from the Fertilizer Institute, and it talks about the fact that denitrification which is an anaerobic process, does not require oxygen, is an extremely significant step for fixed nitrogen to return to the atmosphere. And we need to realize that the atmosphere is 78% nitrogen. We don't talk a lot about it. We tend to spend a lot more time talking about nitrogen going off in the groundwater, which it does, which is bad. Nitrogen loss from any standpoint is never a good thing. Never, ever a good thing. You can get involved in the environmental side of it, and we should. I don't want there to be a hypoxia zone. I don't want there to be things in the environment that are bad. I also don't want you to lose money. And every gallon or every pound of nitrogen that goes out that field tile or down that creek is just money gone forever. we got a bridge down here between two of our farms, and it wouldn't be any different than dropping $20 bills into the creek as it's rolling really high because all we're doing is sending money down the stream and we're never going to get it. The old attitude on nitrogen was always, well, it's cheap, put more on. And it's become fairly well accepted over the last 20 years that nitrogen application rates should not exceed more than 10 pounds for each CEC point per trip. So if we're farming some dirt that has a CEC of 10, we should not apply more than 100 pounds per shot. Now we can do multiple shots and make it work that way, to get a higher rate on. We also know that I'm still seeing things in print. I was looking around on the internet last night. I'm still finding places talking about using 1.2 pounds of nitrogen to get a bushel of corn. Most of our growers are working for a .7. In other words, they're gonna grow 300 bushel corn on 210 pounds of nitrogen. They're gonna grow 200 bushel corn on 140 pounds of N. Properly managed, that's where we're at. Now guys, There's a huge financial advantage to you between 1.2 and 0.7 this year. When you can save a half a pound of nitrogen on every bushel of corn, that's going to be a significant amount of money for you. And I want to encourage you to explore those options and say, how are we going to do that? You know, hard economic times do drive us to try different things. The old idea that back in the day was, well, just... The salesman used to do it this way How much nitrogen do you want? And the farmer would say, I don't know. What do you think? And the growers, or then the, the salesman would say, Well, you remember old Bob over there? He ran out of nitrogen last year, and everybody's talking about that yellow corn. And the growers say, Well, I don't want to be Bob. I don't want everybody talking about me. Put a lot on, put a lot on, put more on. I think those days are long since past. The first thing that I would encourage you is, Soil testing is key. I am literally digging through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tests right now for guys working with them, talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to do this differently. I'm also digging through emails and I'm digging through texts from growers talking about the results that they got last year. And guys, what we learn in these hard economic times are only going to make us more efficient when the inputs fall back down. When we get out of this outrageous cycle that we're in somewhere down the road, then we're going to know a lot more. We're going to be a lot better off. So I want to encourage you to do that. Some other things here out of Schrefer's book that I wanted to share, talking about nitrogen, would include talking about, though, what happens. I went through why we need it, how important it is. This is talking about how we want to develop a whole program. That was the title, Developing a Fertility Program. However, he's talking about the fact that fertilizer burn caused by plasmosis, which is the opposite of osmosis, these high salts cause nutrients and water to actually seep out of the roots. As we know, osmosis is something coming in, an exchange between cells or whatever. But when we get plasmosis, we get nutrients and water being sucked out of the roots into the soil. This can cause plant damage ranging from slight retardation of growth to complete dehydration and resulting in death in the roots and the plant. Guys, that's one of the reasons when people work with us is they become more drought tolerant or more drought resistant. It's always possible to burn up no matter what we do, okay? No matter what we do. However, there are a lot of things that we can do to make sure that we do less of it. And one of the things is is not to overuse high salt fertilizer because that's always going to have an adverse effect on the deal. We put potassium chloride, on the only place we put it on our farm is on the road in front of our house. Why is that? It's to keep the dust down because it literally draws the moisture from down in the ground up. And so that 700 feet in front of our house never makes dust because it's always moist. But it, you can be assured that it's sucking water up out of the ground, and there's a price to be paid for that. Keep in mind that nitrogen is the growth element. Okay? It makes vegetative growth. It accelerates vegetative growth. However, excessive top growth can create deficiencies of other nutrients in the plant. And that sets the stage for disease, for insects, for pests, and reduced yields. Guys, one of the things that we're battling that's going to be probably a big battle next year is tar spot. And I believe that everything we do matters. There is no insignificant decision. There is everything probably matters more than we give it credit for. And if we overuse nitrogen and then we create these other deficiencies in the plant, we are inviting tar spot in. We're inviting pests to come. The unhealthy plant, the unhealthy creature always gets attacked first in nature. And so I would encourage you that we want to make sure we're doing this correctly. And blowing a whole bunch of nitrogen on up front or at any point in time, a whole bunch of it all at once probably isn't the answer. Now, I realize that One of the things that drives me crazy is people who do one-size-fits-all agronomy. You know, we tell you that, for instance, maybe we say something like, you should never plant your corn before the soil temperature is 65 degrees. I heard someone say that once. That's probably a perfect world for some. But in North Dakota, where I was at when this was said... I leaned over to my grower and I jokingly said, well, that's probably the 4th of July. And the guy turned to me and he said, no, Rod, it was actually, it was June 29th. It was June 29th before their soil temperature got to 65 degrees that year. He had kept track of it. And so consequently, probably not going to work to plant your corn at 65 degree soil temperature in North Dakota. Got to go a little earlier than that. Well, nitrogen is one of those deals that, you know, we have this perfect world. Yeah, we'd go out and we'd put on 60 pounds, 2 by 2 by two. We'd put on about 10-gallon as a carrier for our pre-emerge weed and feed because that'll help with the residue, and there's going to be some carbon penalty always. There's always residue. It always takes nitrogen to dissolve that residue, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, so we put on some 2 by 2 by 2 We put some on post-emerge or pre-emerge, I mean, and then we're going to come back and side-dress preferably with Y-drops, all right? That's perfect. However, we've got some logistical problems here that we have to work through. Where I'm at, it's mostly point rows. It's mostly hills and terraces. And side-dressing is not a really great idea because you mash a lot of corn when you do that. And all of a sudden, the advantage that you gained by doing your nitrogen perfect isn't perfect anymore. And so we got to do something different. And so in that instance here, a lot of people are better off to take the amount of uh, CEC they have, multiply it by 10, put the stabilizer in it, put our guardian product in it to help hang on to it. I'm going to talk about that stabilizer here in a little bit and why you want to use the one we have, but to help hold it in place. And then I would still advise with pre-emerge chemicals putting on some nitrogen because it will help with that carbon penalty. It will help dissolve that residue. It will help feed the bacteria. There's a lot of reasons to do that. But we wanna make sure we're not putting it on excessive because we don't wanna increase these problems that we're looking at here. and We don't wanna create any problems. We have enough that show up by themselves. The tar spot thing is gonna be interesting to watch this year. The conversion from ammonium to nitrite is brought about by the nitrosomonas bacteria. And I talk about that because this is important because the nitrate is then converted by the nitrobacters to nitrite, which is negatively charged. So what happens is your nitrogen will start out as a cation that has a positive charge and it ends up as an anion that is negatively charged. What's that mean to us? The reason that the ground is called the ground is because it's the largest negatively charged thing in the world. Electricians know this. That's why you have a ground rod. Okay? It's negatively charged, so we apply ammonium form of N, and we go out there, and the nitrous have to go to work on it. They convert it to nitrite, which then will go to work. The nitrobacter bacteria will go to it, so here's how our stabilizer works. There are stabilizers out there. There are actually 15 more than 15 stabilizers on the market today. If you very carefully read their data, you will find that only three of them work. They got really pretty four-color sell sheets, and they're beautiful, and they talk about results, and they get some results, but do they give you a return on investment? Okay, do they do that? And when their own data doesn't show a positive ROI, it's kind of like me, you know, with some, I get some bright idea here on the farm, I'm going to do this or so, and I sit down and I work it on paper, and I can't make it work on paper financially. It doesn't show a profit. If I can't make it work on paper, I never can make it work in reality. Half the time when it works on paper, it still may not work as well. If the sell sheets don't show you a positive return, the odds of getting a positive return are pretty low, like non existent. All right. And I want to say this there are all kinds of things coming out of the woodwork this year. And some of them, you know, we got products that have been developed in Silicon Valley. They've put three, four, five hundred million dollars into them. The lion's share of that has went into marketing, into advertising, into sponsoring this radio show, into that four-page ad in a magazine, but the data doesn't support the advertisement. One of the things that you might want to do is get into the Bex PFR book because Bex doesn't have a dog in the fight. They just use the product and tell you what they get, and we're seeing a lot of products that don't perform there, okay? So why our stabilizer? Well, the, one of the stabilizers that is around that does work, there are some you know it 's nitropyrin is a stabilizer and it does work and it 's been proven to work now. My situation with nitropyrin is is it is an indiscriminate killer of soil bacteria, so when you apply it wherever you apply it, it just kills all the bacteria off right there in that zone, so the bacteria don 't go to work on the ammonium, so they don 't convert it into nitrites then therefore the Nitro don't come in and convert it into something with a negative into nitrate into a con- negative charge. Therefore, it can't run away as fast. It's all true, but what happened? We started with the premise of killing all the bacteria. Now everybody says, "Well, you know, they come back," and they do. The question is never, "Do they come back?" It's no different than when your corn has something wrong with it, and the agronomist says, "Well, it's going to grow out of it." It always grows out. Well, almost always grows out of it. That's the wrong question. That's a stupid question. The question is, what did it cost me for my corn to have to grow out of being purple? What did it cost me for my soybeans to have to grow out of yellow flesh? What did it cost me to wait on these bacteria to grow back? And what's the long-term ramifications of that? So perhaps what we should do is take a look at a product that has diamed in it, DCD, and what it does is it blocks an enzyme so the nitrous bacteria take a nap. It doesn't kill them. They just take a little nap for a period of time and then they wake up and they go back to work because we want them to go back to work. We're, we're not trying to kill them forever. We don't even want to kill them at all. We just want them to wait a few days before they go to their job. Okay. We're going to put them on vacation first. And when we do that, we slow down that conversion, which acts as almost, it's like a, we call it a chemical side dress. In other words, we can put the nitrogen on up front and and still have the advantage of, like, side dressing because we're doing it over the course of the season, getting a slow release on it, and that's what we're looking for. As we look at the different things here, another thing to consider with this is that there is a huge, this particular book came from Schrefer, and he says, We believe strongly that the triad of nitrogen, phosphorus, and zinc will always function better in combination than when used singularly. We also believe that nitrogen always functions best in the presence of phosphorus since phosphorus is necessary for energy release within the cells during uptake periods of rapid vegetative growth. Guys, everything we do matters, and it is important to make sure we're doing the right things. You guys know, I believe, it is never, ever wrong to do the right thing. One of the things that might be interesting for you is to get a copy of Molder's chart. Mulder's chart shows how different nutrients impact other nutrients, whether it be antagonistic or synergistic. There are some nutrients that when used together become synergistic and help each other a lot. There are some that too much of can really mess up the others. For instance, a high dose of nitrogen is probably not going to be a big help for your copper levels in your plant. And so that's why we want to do everything in balance, do the right thing, do it at the right time, doing it in the right place. I believe in the four R's. I just get frustrated because I don't think the industry has done a very good job of actually embracing those. They talk a good game, they talk about the four R's, but we're not practicing it. Guys, I'm not gonna dive away from the fact that I am not a fan of fault applying nitrogen. I am not. My good friend Kurt from over by Geneseo sent me a chart that he had put together. Now these numbers are based in Fargo, North Dakota, okay? So unless you're north of Fargo, which some of you are, but the majority of you are south of Fargo, here was the expected loss of N on the application date. If it was applied previous to October 1st, the expectation was a 75% loss. If it was applied previous to October 15th, a 50% loss. If it was applied at November 1st or later, then the expected loss dropped all the way to 20%. So what's the best thing we're looking for? A 20% loss. So I get guys that say, well, I'm going to fall apply gas because it's cheaper. Well, you can tack 20% onto the cost like that. Instantaneously, you tack on 20% because it's fall applied, and that is the expected loss. Okay? And so I don't believe we're ever going to grow corn on 7 tenths of a pound of nitrogen if it is fall applied. Now, we got people that do it. I understand. No one size fits all. Some guys farm really big. They got to figure out what to do. However, I still want to encourage that. You know, I happened to hear the other night I was in a store and there were two guys who worked for a fertilizer retailer and they were talking about all of the gas that they put on and how long they'd been putting it on and how warm it still is. And they were just kind of chuckling among themselves because they knew that they weren't doing the right thing. But they were getting her done. That's the important thing. They don't have to do it next spring. Well, that may be true. It may not. The fact of the matter is, you may have got her done and done her all in the fall. And then you may need to get her done again and go back and do it in the spring. Because if you suffer 50 or 75% loss of in, you're going to need to reapply. And I watch it every year. The retailers come out. They convince guys to put it on in the fall. And then they come back and they say, well... You know, uh, we've had quite a bit of rain. It's been warm pretty long, and you may have had some loss. We probably ought to put a little more on. You know, that more on, you need to think about that phrase, more on, and think about all the connotations with that. We need to put a little more on. And I think we want to be kind of cognizant of the fact and maybe suspicious of the people who are telling us this. Reading out of uh, Kinsey's book, it says that the wink leak is not nitrogen, phosphates, potash, or even calcium. I've had clients whose soil tests show they do not need calcium. They've used at least as much phosphate and potash, and invariably they were using too much in. But sulfur and micronutrients were limiting the yield. Four different clients in Southeast Missouri raised their corn yield in three years by 30 to 40 bushels when they started adding sulfur and micronutrients. That's the only change they made. When the soil tests showed certain fertilizers, They could cut back on to save money, and then they spend it on micronutrients. And yet, micronutrients only make the difference when everything else has been corrected. Guys, everything matters beyond the shadow of a doubt. And these guys that I'm reading from are much smarter than I. They're the ones that I study. They're the ones that I try to be like. They're the ones I try to get value from. But it's about having everything correct. But the fact that we've got great NPK levels, I looked at some soil tests yesterday for a guy from Illinois. I really appreciate Jim. And I was looking at some of his tests. He had P1 tests that were great, P2 tests that were fantastic. And his boron test was 0.1 parts per million. He could put on all the nitrogen in the world. But until he addressed that lack of boron, until he addressed his lack of zinc, his lack of manganese, his lack of copper, the NPK thing was never going to get him there. Was never, and so we got to make sure that we're not just trying to do it all through one nutrient. Guys, I find different agronomists, people who are out there who say, "Hey, man, just get your base saturation rate to some number that they pick arbitrarily—75, 80, 85 percent. Just do that. That's all you got to do. It's not. I don't believe that it's that simple. I don't believe that any one nutrient applied in excess or in large amounts is going to do the deal." We've got to take it all we have to do it. It's no different than trying to feed you. I love steak, but I cannot eat steak all the time and only eat steak. I will be sick because I need the vegetables. I need the other things. No different than that corn plant might love nitrogen, and it does, but it isn't going to get the best yield if that's all we give it. Kinsey went on in here to say this. I want you to hear this really, really well. Although sulfur occurs in the soil as a sulfate ion, The major source of sulfur is humus. The higher the humus, the less likely the need for sulfur. Therefore, the humus level and the rate of increase or destruction is an index to sulfur availability. The bottom line remains the same. The overuse of nitrogen will burn out the humus and will equally destroy the sulfur storage system. Guys, there are a million reasons not to overuse nitrogen. And reason number one is it is very, very expensive. Okay, it creates a lot of stress in your life. It does a lot of things that you don't want it to do. But most of all, it's expensive. So let's make sure we're putting it on at the right rate. Again, out of the Midwest Handbook, it talks about the fact that there are 35,000 tons of nitrogen over every acre of land. 35,000 tons. The atmosphere is 78% nitrogen. But it also says in the conclusion of this section... Excess of nitrogen in relation to the balance of other plant food elements will cause many failures such as lodging, low quality grain, a decrease in disease resistance, and delays in maturity. Guys, we know that nitrogen is the big one. That's why I started with it. There is no question about that. We know though that high use burns calcium. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, it burns calcium out of the soil, and we have to replace that. Another reason to question using a high, high rate in the fall because of what it does to our calcium. We know that high rates cause plant health issues. We know that high rates causes lodging. We know that it hurts the maturing process. The fact of the matter, guys, if you followed us, you know I've put pictures up here of corn. Green as a gourd testing 22% because there's two ways to get your corn crop to dry. Number one, The plant stays healthy and the plant stays green and it dries, D-R-I-E-S, it dries down because it will actually translocate moisture out of the plant and take it back into the root system. The second way to get your corn plant to dry up is to die down, yeah, die as in no longer alive. It turns brown and then we're completely dependent upon wind, sun, and temperature. Let me add a little bonus in here to all of this because in multiple locations, I read on the internet, I read in all of these books. One of the things it talks about was the fact that it takes energy, it takes nitrogen to dissolve corn stalks. I've read a couple of threads and guys were talking about the fact that they got corn stalks still showing up from two years ago. They do a corn bean rotation. They went back this year. They're still planting into pretty heavy corn residue. Well, we've got companies out there who are selling you a bacteria product and it might be pretty spendy. And I'm certain that it works. However, the key to using that is that you need to get it on early because the more, you know, this has been the perfect fall. With our forecast here, I would advise you it would still be worth it to fire up the sprayer and go spray to get those corn stalks to get chewed up and break down. However, I want to encourage you, the bacteria you need to do that, they're already there, okay? They should already be there. A lot of the, the things that I read talked about the fact that if you will apply seven, it depends on who you talk to, five, seven, or 10 gallon of nitrogen, let's just say five, a couple gallon of thiosol, Twelve double O twenty six for a little bit of sulfur, because we know we were looking for a carbon-nitrogen-sulfur ratio, right? 100 parts carbon, 10 parts nitrogen, one part sulfur. So five gallon of 28, one gallon of thiosol. And then we have a product called WEX, which makes that penetrate into the plant better. And then we also would put sugar with it. Why? Because that sugar is a carbon source that's going to feed those bacteria. Rather than apply more bacteria that still need something to eat, why don't we just give them some energy? Guys, you can make your own stock digester, and it does a lot of things for you. By doing it this way, you prepay part of the carbon penalty that you're going to pay in the spring. Because that carbon penalty is simply explained. It's getting the ratio correct in your soil. 100 parts carbon corn stalks residue, 10 parts nitrogen, one part sulfur. That's going to exist. That's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, the corn plant's starving for something. We get that a lot of times. Guys don't have enough sulfur. They put on more nitrogen, and it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse because the soil just locks onto every bit of sulfur that's in there and won't let it go because your plant eats the second table. The soil is the first table, and it's going to take what it wants, and it's going to make its balances And then it will release whatever it is that you need. So we want to make sure that we're applying that nitrogen and that sulfur at the right ratio. Guys, I love what I do. You can look forward to 11 more of these. You can look forward to a whole bunch more sweaters. If I time this right, you'll get to hear a little Christmas song from our clock that goes off every hour. And we'll be able to do some of that. I would ask that if you find value in what we do, share this with a friend. I want to encourage you to go to our podcast, whatever platform you listen on, go type in A Better Way to Farm. I would like to encourage you to go to A Better Way to Farm and fill out the calculator on there and take a look at some profitability ideas if you haven't done that yet. If you have questions, if there's things we can help you with, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can call us or text us at 641-919-1206. You can get us a message right here on the Facebook page. We look forward to talking to you. And guys, I hope you're having a wonderful Christmas season and you're really having a better day. Thank you for joining us this week on the A Better Way to Farm podcast. If you found value in this episode, we would appreciate you rating us on iTunes or simply sharing with a friend. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and tune in next time for serious secrets about profitable farming.